Section 21 of How the Other Half Lives. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. How the Other Half Lives by Jacob Rees. Chapter 19 The Harvest of Tares. The growler stood at the cradle of the tough. It bosses him through his boyhood apprenticeship in the gang and leaves him, for a time only, at the door of the jail that receives him to finish his training and turn him loose upon the world a thief, to collect by stealth or by force the living his philosophy tells him that it owes him, and will not voluntarily surrender without an equivalent in the work which he hates. From the moment he, almost a baby, for the first time carries the growler for beer, he is never out of its reach and the two soon form a partnership that lasts through life. It has at least the merit, such as it is, of being loyal. The saloon is the only thing that takes kindly to the lad. Honest play is interdicted in the streets. The policeman arrests the ball-tossers, and there is no room in the backyard. In one of these, between two enormous tenements that swarmed with children, I read this ominous notice. Quote, all boys caught in this yard will be dealt with according to law. End quote. Along the waterfronts, in the holes of the dock rats, and on the avenues, the young tough finds plenty of kindred spirits. Every corner has its gang, not always on the best of terms with the rivals in the next block, but all with a common program, defiance of law and order, and with a common ambition to get pinched i.e., arrested, so as to pose as heroes before their fellows. A successful raid on the grocer's till is a good mark, doing up a policeman cause for promotion. The gang is an institution in New York. The police deny its existence while nursing the bruises received in nightly battles with it that tax their utmost resources. The newspapers chronicle its doings daily, with a sensational minuteness of detail that does its share toward keeping up its evil traditions and inflaming the ambition of its members to be as bad as the worst. The gang is the ripe fruit of tenement house growth. It was born there, endowed with a heritage of instinctive hostility to restraint by a generation that sacrificed home to freedom or left its country for its country's good. The tenement received and nursed the seed. The intensity of the American temper stood sponsor to the murder in what would have been the common bruiser of a more phlegmatic clime. New York's tough represents the essence of reaction against the old and the new oppression, nursed in the rank soil of its slums. Its gangs are made up of the American-born sons of English, Irish, and German parents. They reflect exactly the conditions of the tenements from which they sprang, murder is as congenial to cherry street or to battle row as quiet and order to murray hill the assimilation of europe's oppressed hordes upon which our fourth of july orators are fond of dwelling is perfect the product is our own such is the genesis of new york's gangs their history is not so easily written it would embrace the largest share of our city's criminal history for two generations back every page of it dyed red with blood. 
the guillotine paris set up a century ago to avenge its wrongs was not more relentless or less discriminating than this nemesis of new york the difference is of intent murder with that was the serious purpose with ours it is the careless incident the wanton brutality of the moment bravado and robbery are the real purposes of the gangs the former prompts the attack upon the policeman the latter that upon the citizen within a single week last spring the newspapers recorded six murderous assaults on unoffending people committed by young highwaymen in the public streets how many more were suppressed by the police who always do their utmost to hush up such outrages in the interest of justice i shall not say there has been no lack of such occurrences since as the records of the criminal courts show in fact the past summer has seen after a period of comparative quiescence of the gangs a reawakening to renewed turbulence of the east side tribes and over and over again the reserved forces of a precinct have been called out to club them into submission it is a peculiarity of the gangs that they usually break out in spots as it were when the west side is in a state of eruption the east side gangs lie low and when the toughs along the north river are nursing broken heads at home or their revenge in sing sing fresh trouble breaks out in the tenements east of third avenue this result is brought about by the very efforts made by the police to put down the gangs in spite of local feuds there is between them a species of ruffianly freemasonry that readily admits to full fellowship a hunted rival in the face of the common enemy the gangs belt the city like a huge chain from the battery to harlem the collective name of the chain gang has been given to their scattered groups in the belief that a much closer connection exists between them than commonly supposed and the ruffian for whom the east side has become too hot has only to step across town and change his name a matter usually much easier for him than to change a shirt to find a sanctuary in which to plot fresh outrages the more notorious he is the warmer the welcome and if he has done his man he is by common consent accorded the leadership in his new field from all this it might be inferred that the new york tough is a very fierce individual of indomitable courage and naturally as bloodthirsty as a tiger on the contrary he is an arrant coward his instincts of ferocity are those of the wolf rather than the tiger it is only when he hunts with a pack that he is dangerous then his inordinate vanity makes him forget all fear or caution in the desire to distinguish himself before his fellows a result of his swallowing all the flash literature and penny dreadfuls he can beg borrow or steal and there is never any lack of them and of the strongly dramatic element in his nature that is nursed by such a diet into rank and morbid growth he is a queer bundle of contradictions at all times drunk and foul-mouthed ready to cut the throat of a defenceless stranger at the toss of a cent fresh from beating his decent mother black and blue to get money for rum footnote this very mother will implore the court with tears the next morning to let her renegade son off a poor woman who claimed to be the widow of a soldier applied to the tenement house relief committee of the king's daughters last summer 
to be sent to some home, as she had neither kith nor kin to care for her. Upon investigation, it was found that she had four big sons, all toughs, who beat her regularly and took from her all the money she could earn or beg. She was a respectable woman of good habits, the inquiry developed, and lied only to shield her rascally sons. End footnote. He will resent as an intolerable insult the imputation that he is no gentleman. Fighting his battles with the coward's weapons, the brass knuckles, and the deadly sandbag, or with brickbats from the housetops, he is still in all seriousness a lover of fair play, and as likely as not, when his gang has downed a policeman in a battle that has cost a dozen broken heads, to be found next saving a drowning child or woman at the peril of his own life. It depends on the angle at which he is seen, whether he is a cowardly ruffian, or a possible hero with different training and under different social conditions. Ready wit he has at all times, and there is less meanness in his make-up than in that of the bully of the London slums, but an intense love of show and applause that carries him to any length of bravado which his twin brother across the sea entirely lacks. I have a very vivid recollection of seeing one of his tribe a robber and murderer before he was nineteen, go to the gallows unmoved, all fear of the rope overcome, as it seemed, by the secret exultant pride of being the centre of a first-class show, shortly to be followed by the acme of tenement life bliss, a big funeral. He had his reward. His name is to this day a talisman among West Side ruffians and is proudly borne by the gang of which, up till the night when he knocked out his man, he was an obscure though aspiring member. The crime that made McLoyne famous was the cowardly murder of an unarmed saloon-keeper who came upon the gang while it was sacking his bar-room at the dead of night. McLoyne might easily have fled, but disdained to run for a Dutchman, his act was a fair measure of the standard of heroism set up by his class in its conflicts with society. The finish is worthy of the start. The first long step in crime taken by the half-grown boy, fired with ambition to earn a standing in his gang, is usually to rob a lash, i.e., a drunken man who has strayed his way, likely enough is lying asleep in a hallway. He has served an apprenticeship on copper-bottom wash-boilers, and like articles found lying around loose, and capable of being converted into cash enough to give the growler a trip or two. But his venture at robbery moves him up into full fellowship at once. He is no longer a kid, though his years may be few, but a tough with the rest. He may even in time, he is reasonably certain of it, get his name in the papers as a murderous scoundrel, and have his cup of glory filled to the brim. I came once upon a gang of such young rascals passing the growler, after a successful raid of some sort, down at the West 37th Street dock, and having my camera along, offered to take them. They were not old and wary enough to be shy of the photographer, whose acquaintance they usually first make in handcuffs and the grip of a policeman, or their vanity overcame their caution. It is entirely in keeping with the tough's character that he should love all things to pose before a photographer, and the ambition is usually the stronger 
the more repulsive the tough. These were of that sort, and accepted the offer with great readiness, dragging into their group a disreputable-looking sheep that roamed about with them, the slaughterhouses were close at hand, as one of the band. The homeliest ruffian of the lot, who insisted on being taken with the growler to his mug, took the opportunity to pour what was left in it down his throat, and this caused a brief unpleasantness, but otherwise the performance was a success. While I was getting the camera ready, I threw out a vague suggestion of cigarette pictures, and it took root at once. Nothing would do then but that I must take the boldest spirits of the company in character. One of them tumbled over against a shed, as if asleep, while two of the others bent over him, searching his pockets with a deafness that was highly suggestive. This, they explained for my benefit, was to show how they did the trick. The rest of the band were so impressed with the importance of this exhibition that they insisted on crowding into the picture by climbing upon the shed, sitting on the roof with their feet dangling over the edge, and disposing themselves in every imaginable manner within view, as they thought. Lest any reader be led into the error of supposing them to have been harmless young fellows enjoying themselves in peace, let me say that within half an hour after our meeting, when I called at the police station three blocks away, I found there two of my friends of the Montgomery Guards under arrest for robbing a Jewish peddler who had passed that way after I left them, and trying to saw his head off, as they put it, quote, just for fun. The sheeny come along, and the saw was there, and we socked it to him. End quote. The prisoners were described to me by the police as Dennis the Bum and Mud Foley. It is not always that their little diversions end as harmlessly as did this, even from the standpoint of the Jew, who was pretty badly hurt, not far from the preserves of the Montgomery Guards in Poverty Gap directly opposite the scene of the murder to which I have referred in a note explaining the picture of the Cunningham family, page 169, a young lad, who was the only support of his aged parents, was beaten to death within a few months by the alley gang, for the same offense that drew down the displeasure of its neighbors upon the peddler, that of being at work trying to earn an honest living. I found a part of the gang asleep the next morning, before young Healy's death was known, in a heap of straw on the floor of an unoccupied room, in the same row of rear tenements in which the murdered boy's home was. One of the tenants, who secretly directed me to their lair, assuring me that no worse scoundrels went unhung, ten minutes later gave the gang, to its face, an official character for sobriety and inoffensiveness that very nearly startled me into an unguarded rebuke of his duplicity. I caught his eye in time and held my peace. The man was simply trying to protect his own home, while giving such aid as he safely could toward bringing the murderous ruffians to justice. The incident shows to what extent a neighborhood may be terrorized by a determined gang of these reckless toughs. In Poverty Gap there were still a few decent people left, when it comes to Hell's Kitchen, or to its compeers at the other end of 39th Street, over by the East River, and further down First Avenue in the village, the Rag Gang and its allies have no need of fearing treachery in their periodical battles with the police. 
the entire neighborhood takes a hand on these occasions the women in the front rank partly from sheer love of the fun but chiefly because husbands brothers and sweethearts are in the fight to a man and need their help chimney tops form the staple of ammunition then and stacks of loose brick and paving stones carefully hoarded in upper rooms as a prudent provision against emergencies regular patrol posts are established by the police on the housetops in times of trouble in these localities but even then they do not escape whole-skinned if indeed with their lives neither does the gang the policeman knows of but one cure for the tough the club and he lays it on without stint whenever and wherever he has the chance knowing right well that if caught at a disadvantage he will get his outlay back with interest words are worse than wasted in the gang districts it is a blow at sight and the tough thus accosted never stops to ask questions unless he is wanted for some signal outrage the policeman rarely bothers with arresting him he can point out half a dozen at sight against whom indictments are pending by the basketful but whom no jail ever held many hours they only serve to make him more reckless for he knows that the political backing that has saved him in the past can do it again it is a commodity that is only exchangeable for value received and it is not hard to imagine what sort of value is in demand the saloon in ninety-nine cases out of a hundred stands behind the bargain for these reasons as well as because he knows from frequent experience his own way to be the best the policeman lets the gangs alone except when they come within reach of his long nightstick they have their club rooms where they meet generally in a tenement sometimes under a pier or a dump to carouse play cards and plan their raids their fences who dispose of the stolen property when the necessity presents itself for a descent upon the gang after some particularly fragrant outrage the police have a task on hand that is not of the easiest the gangs like foxes have more than one hole to their dens in some localities where the interior of a block is filled with rear tenements often set at all sorts of odd angles surprise alone is practicable pursuit through the winding ways and passages is impossible the young thieves know them all by heart they have their runaways over roofs and fences which no one else could find their lair is generally selected with special reference to its possibilities of escape once pitched upon its occupation by the gang with its earmark of nightly symposiums can rackets in the slang of the street is the signal for a rapid deterioration of the tenement if that is possible relief is only to be had by ousting the intruders an instance came under my notice in which valuable property had been well-nigh ruined by being made the thoroughfare of thieves by night and by day they had chosen it because of a passage that led through the block by way of several connecting halls and yards the place came soon to be known as murderer's alley complaint was made to the board of health as a last resort of the condition of the property the practical inspector who was sent to report upon it suggested to the owner that he build a brick wall in a place where it would shut off communication between the streets and he took the advice within the brief space of a few months the house changed character entirely 
and became as decent as it had been before the convenient runaway was discovered. This was in the Sixth Ward, where the infamous Wyo gang, until a few years ago, absorbed the worst depravity of the bend, and what is left of the five points. The gang was finally broken up when its leader was hanged for murder after a life of uninterrupted and unavenged crimes, the recital of which made his father confessor turn pale, listening in the shadow of the scaffold, though many years of labor as chaplain of the tombs had hardened him to such rehearsals. The great Wyo had been a power in the ward, handy at carrying elections for the party or faction that happened to stand in need of his services, and was willing to pay for them in money or in kind. Other gangs have sprung up since, with as high ambition and a fair prospect of outdoing their predecessor. The conditions that bred it still exist, practically unchanged. Inspector Burns is authority for the statement that throughout the city the young tough has more ability and nerve than the thief whose example he successfully emulates. He begins earlier, too. Speaking of the increase of the native element among criminal prisoners exhibited in the census returns of the last thirty years, footnote, the percentage of foreign-born prisoners in 1850, as compared with that of natives, was more than five times that of native prisoners. Now, 1880, it is less than double. American prisons in the tenth census. End footnote. The Reverend Fred H. Wine says, Their youth is a very striking fact. Had he confined his observations to the police courts of New York, he might have emphasized that remark and found an explanation of the discovery that the ratio of prisoners in cities is two and one-quarter times as great as in the country at large, a computation that takes no account of the reformatories for juvenile delinquents, or the exhibit would have been still more striking. Of the 82,200 persons arrested by the police in 1889, 10,505 were under 20 years old. The last report of the Society of the Prevention of Cruelty to Children enumerates as a few typical cases 18 professional cracksmen, between 9 and 15 years old, who had been caught with burglar's tools or in the act of robbery. Four of them, hardly yet in long trousers, had held up a wayfarer in the public street and robbed him of $73. One, aged sixteen, was the leader of a noted gang of young robbers in 49th Street. He committed murder, for which he is now serving a term of nineteen years in state prison. Four of the eighteen were girls, and quite as bad as the worst. In a few years they would have been living with the toughs of their choice, without the ceremony of marriage, egging them on by their pride in their lawless achievements, and fighting side by side with them in their encounters with the cops. The exploits of the Paradise Park gang, in the way of highway robbery, showed last summer that the embers of the scattered Wyo gang, upon the wreck of which it grew, were smoldering still. The hanging of Driscoll broke up the Wyos, because they were a comparatively small band, and, with the incomparable master spirit gone, were unable to resist the angry rush of public indignation that followed the crowning outrage. This is the history of the passing away of famous gangs from time to time. The passing is more apparent than real, however. 
some other daring leader gathers the scattered elements about him soon and the war on society is resumed a bare enumeration of the names of the best-known gangs would occupy pages of this book the rock gang the rag gang the stable gang and the short tail gang down about the hook have all achieved bad eminence along with scores of others that have not appeared so frequently in the newspapers by day they loaf in the corner groggeries on their beat at night they plunder the stores along the avenues or lie in wait at the river for unsteady feet straying their way the man who is sober and minds his own business they seldom molest unless he be a stranger inquiring his way or a policeman and the gang twenty against the one the tipsy wayfarer is their chosen victim and they seldom have to look for him long one is not far to go to the river from any point in new york the man who does not know where he is going is sure to reach it sooner or later should he foolishly resist or make an outcry dead men tell no tales floaters come ashore every now and then with pockets turned inside out not always evidence of the post-mortem inspection by dock rats police patrol the rivers as well as the shore on constant lookout for these but seldom catch up with them if overtaken after a race during which shots are often exchanged from the boats the thieves have an easy way of escaping and at the same time destroying the evidence against them they simply upset the boat they swim one and all like real rats the lost plunder can be recovered at leisure the next day by diving or grappling the loss of the boat counts for little another is stolen and the gang is ready for business again the fiction of a social club which most of the gangs keep up helps them to a pretext for blackmailing the politicians and the storekeepers in their bailiwick at the annual seasons of their picnic or ball the thieves ball is as well known and recognized an institution on the east side as the charity ball in a different social stratum although it does not go by that name in print at least indeed the last thing a new york tough will admit is that he is a thief he dignifies his calling with a pretense of gambling he does not steal he wins your money on your watch and on the police returns he is a speculator if when he passes around the hat for voluntary contributions any storekeeper should have the temerity to refuse to chip in he may look for a visit from the gang on the first dark night and account himself lucky if his place escapes being altogether wrecked the hell's kitchen gang and the rag gang have both distinguished themselves within recent times by blowing up objectionable stores with stolen gunpowder but if no such episode mar the celebration the excursion comes off and is the occasion for a series of drunken fights that as likely as not end in murder no season has passed within my memory that has not seen the police reserves called out to receive some howling pandemonium returning from a picnic grove on the hudson or on the sound at least one peaceful community up the river that had borne with this nuisance until patience had ceased to be a virtue received a boatload of such picnickers in a style befitting the occasion and the cargo the outraged citizens planted a howitzer on the deck and bade the party land at their peril with a loaded gun pointed dead at them the furious toughs gave up 
and the peace was not broken on the Hudson that day, at least not ashore. It is good cause for congratulation that the worst of all forms of recreation, popular among the city toughs, the moonlight picnic, has been effectually discouraged. Its opportunities for disgraceful revelry and immorality were unrivaled anywhere. In spite of influence and protection, the tough reaches eventually the end of his rope. Occasionally, not too often, there is a noose on it. If not, the world that owes him a living, according to his creed, will insist on his earning it on the safe side of a prison wall. A few, a very few, have been clubbed into an approach to righteousness from the police standpoint. The condemned tough goes up to serve his bit or couple of stretches, followed by the applause of his gang. In the prison he meets older thieves than himself, and sits at their feet listening with respectful admiration to their accounts of the great things that sent them before. He returns with the brand of the jail upon him, to encounter the hero-worship of his old associates as an offset to the cold shoulder given him by all the rest of the world. Even if he is willing to work, disgusted with the restraint and hard labor of prison life, and in a majority of cases that thought is probably uppermost in his mind, no one will have him around. If, with the assistance of Inspector Burns, who is a philanthropist in his own practical way, he secures a job, he is discharged on the slightest provocation and for the most trifling fault. Very soon he sinks back into his old surroundings, to rise no more until he is lost to view in the queer, mysterious way in which thieves and fallen women disappear. No one can tell how. In the ranks of criminals he never rises above that of the laborer, the small thief or burglar, or general crook, who blindly does the work planned for him by others, and runs the biggest risk for the poorest pay. It cannot be said that the growler brought him luck, or its friendship fortune, and yet, if his misdeeds have helped to make manifest that all effort to reclaim his kind must begin with the conditions of life against which his very existence is a protest, even the tough has not lived in vain. This measure of credit, at least, should be accorded him, that, with or without his good will, he has been a factor in urging on the battle against the slums that bred him. It is a fight in which eternal vigilance is truly the price of liberty and the preservation of society. End of section 21. Recording by Guero.